If you're having trouble staying motivated during the dog days of summer, it may not be just you. It could be your brain. Find out how on this episode of Live Happy Now. The ancient Greeks defined happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. To think about positive psychology, it's a science. And it's actually younger than the Internet, believe it or not. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of long-term happiness. You have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so it all comes down to understanding ourselves. There's a way for all of us to succeed, but, but it might take different things. We're all looking for the same thing, and that's a way to bring a little bit more joy to our day. Join us as we look at the many different paths that lead us to that happy place. This is Live Happy Now. Hello and greetings and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Pleased that you are making us a part of your day wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening. Thanks for taking us with you. We also thank those of you who are tuning into our radio show each week on Radio.com or 98.7 K-Love in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. And we thank those of you who have picked up a copy of the new magazine, got Anna Ferris on the cover, got all kinds of fun stuff in there. You can check it out at your local Barnes & Noble. You can also get it in a digital form at the Apple store or the google play store all kinds of fun stuff there and we hope you are motivated to do so speaking of motivation what a lovely segue it's like i'm a pro or something i'm not uh we're talking about motivation in this episode of the live happy now podcast and we are joined by elliot berkman an associate professor of psychology at the university of oregon and director of the social and effective neuroscience lab he studies the motivational and cognitive factors that contribute to success and failure at things like quitting smoking or eating healthier or exercising and his work uses knowledge of brain function structure and connectivity to design and improve interventions on health behavior and well-being Dr. Berkman, we are so appreciative that you were able to take some time out and uh, hang out with us today. It sounds like you got uh, some busy work going on behind you there. <laughs> oh, do I? I'll uh, try to keep it down. Uh, that's all right. That's all right. It, we're all working people. We know how that goes. We're excited to have you here, and we're talking about the neuroscience approach to motivation. And the thing that uh, interests me about this is, as we're recording this podcast, we're coming off a holiday weekend and no one around the office was really motivated to get to work today. So this is really kind of timely for us to talk about uh, with, within our offices. What can neuroscience teach us about motivation? Well, we would like to think that whatever we do happens or originates in some way in the brain. Mm -hmm. And so I think we're still discovering exactly what neuroscience can teach us about motivation. But we've, we've started to learn some things, um, and particularly we can do things like compare the brain activity of people that are particularly motivated to those who are demotivated. We can look at brain activity within a person um, when they're relatively more motivated versus less motivated. And what that tells us can be quite interesting, especially when compared with other neuroscience research. Have you found that it's lighting up different pathways in people's brains, or are we not quite that far on the research yet? Yeah, that's exactly where we are. Um, right now, we're still... Oops, Apologies for that. <laughs> um, right now, we're still trying to figure out exactly what those data are telling us. That certainly we know that motivation lights up different pathways, that different parts of the brain are active for motivation um, versus other forms of thought, like thinking or uh, you know, working memory or attention. Mm -hmm. But exactly 
what that tells us about motivation, I mean, other than the fact that it's represented in the brain, which, again, is something we could have figured out on our own um, without fancy imaging machines, <laughs> um, is something, you know, that's still a matter of debate. Um, certainly, we know it has something to do with reward. Um, hmm. Again, not hugely surprising, but I think it's been surprising to us to, to figure out exactly how strongly it is linked with reward. And the other thing is that motivation has a lot to do with identity. And that was something that was mm. fairly surprising from the neuroimaging work. It was that we, by identity, I mean our self-concept, our sense of self and how we think of ourselves. Um, I mean, there are ideas in the psychology literature about motivation having to do with self, but I think how kind of fundamentally important it is for motivation to be linked to who we are, to, what, to what's really important to us, to our cherished values and ideals, um, that's something that's kind of relatively recent. So this is something that is uh, a part of our personality to begin with, right? Like, is there any way to improve upon it for people, or is it just something we're stuck with? Yeah, that's a big question. And the question of can you improve motivation, I mean, certainly um, I'll say there's a lot of reason to be optimistic that it can be improved. I mean, even something trivial like you can always motivate people with rewards. You can give them mm -hmm. incentives. You can pay them. You can, you know, uh, enter them into a raffle, those kinds of things. I mean, that works, right? We know mm -hmm. that people can be motivated by money. The question is what are other kinds of rewards that might be more sustainable that could be just as motivating as money and I think the psychology and the neuroscience literature has done a good job of laying out what types of rewards those might be. Um, things like social norms can be really important. Um, if you've checked into a hotel recently, you might see a little sign on your pillow that says, you know, uh, many of our guests choose to save water by uh, leaving their towels hanging up rather than putting them on the floor. So that way the hotel doesn't have to wash the towels again. Um, mm. And that's a really clever little trick because all it's, what it's doing is basically saying, hey, there's this social norm. Other people like you um, have chosen to do this, and that turns out to be pretty powerfully motivating for humans, which is essentially conformity, right? To fit yeah. in with the social group is really important. It's, it's peer pressure. Everybody's doing it. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and it's effective. And I think at the level of the brain, it's interesting to think of peer pressure not so much as pressure. Like, we think of that as a kind of a bad, bad thing. You know, in the context yeah. of adolescence, it certainly can be. But I think at the level of the brain, it really looks very much more like a reward. Uh, fitting in feels good. Yeah, absolutely. What is the single best thing that a person can do to increase their motivation? Well, that, I think, is to find it's – a, it's a class of things. But the single best class of things is to find what's really – what I would say intrinsically rewarding about that activity mm. to you. Um, and it might be surprising, right? It might be that not the obvious thing. So a lot of people will say, well, I want to exercise to have more energy or I want to exercise to feel good. But if, if it doesn't, if those things don't really sort of do it for you, then what you need to do is find the thing that exercising does that is valuable to you. And maybe mm. it's something more like, uh, you know, maybe uh, you have a, a core value of, of family. Maybe you really care about your family. And so maybe then it becomes about, well, when I exercise, it doesn't feel good and it doesn't make me feel good, but I know that it's what my family would want me to do. And so that's, for me, very motivating. Or, you know, yeah. for anybody else, it could be something different. 
Yeah, I like that idea because, uh, you know, I've talked about it with my wife. When I played sports, I could exercise all the time. I could go work out. I could go practice, and it wasn't a big deal. Now I'm not playing sports at any kind of com- real competitive level, and I have a hard time getting out there to exercise. So maybe the, the uh, thought of being better in my competitions is a way to motivate me. Uh, that's That's an interesting thought. I like that. People tend to get into a rut or get into habits, uh, you know, ways that they always do things or, or things that they do that can be sort of detrimental to their overall development or their health. What are some ways that we can break those habits and, and break through that whole thing? Yeah, that's a, that's a big question in psychology these days. We talk about it as behavior change. Usually when you set a goal for yourself or you want to do something new, The first step is you have to overcome whatever you were doing before. You have to overcome the bad habit, change your behavior in some way. And we've studied habits quite a bit, and we now know they're really powerful, partly because our brains have evolved to develop habits. Habits are good in the sense that they they make things very efficient. So think about driving, right? It's... You, if, if we weren't able to form habits, driving would be very difficult because every time you went to slow down or turn, you have to like think through every little step in the process. But at the level of the brain, learning to drive is almost exactly like forming any other habit, including the bad habits that we want to get rid of, where it's, you practice it, it gets rewarded, you learn it quite easily, and then it's kind of entrenched. The way to change habits is to try to replace them with new ones. So... The same way that you would develop kind of a bad habit, that's exactly the way you want to develop a a good habit, by learning the behavior, starting small. That's kind of really good advice. I think it's something people may have heard before, but it's really kind of empirically evidence-based, as we would say. Start with small goals, and importantly, you need to reward them. So when when you're successful in changing the habit even a little bit, you need to reward that. And then the third kind of magic ingredient is just repetition. So just like when you start learning to drive, you start small, right? Maybe going around in circles in a parking lot, but it's really rewarding, especially when you're 16, because it means, (laughs) oh, now I'm learning to drive, right? And sometimes the new behavior isn't intrinsically rewarding in the same way that getting your driver's license would be to a 16-year-old. So if you can find ways to make it rewarding, um, sometimes even just explicitly rewarding yourself with a treat or something like that, whatever motivates you, do that. Um, and repeat it. And eventually that behavior will become a habit and it'll become quite a bit easier because, as I mentioned, it's the kind of dual-edged sword of habit formation, which is they're easy to form. So when you get bad ones, they're hard to break. But once you're able to form a good one and reinforce it, then it's kind of a nice, nice feature. Yeah. And it's equally hard to break the good habits. Uh, as well. And we, we talk about that a lot on, on this show and around these offices, all the things we do, is that as you practice these things, and, and they are practices, it, it's not easy to do right away, uh, but eventually it does become habit. It, it does become just something that's almost unconscious. You just do it because that's what you've been trained to do. Right, right. And I think sometimes people, in some ways, people overthink those things. They think like, you know, you have to change your whole life in some radical way in order to, you know, say, start exercising more or to to change your eating behaviors. Mm-hmm. But I think if you think of them more as just tiny little steps that you're doing and you're very deliberately rewarding yourself, like you said, eventually it'll just become automatic and it doesn't have to be this huge upheaval process. It's all about just finding a way to engage in that behavior, whatever it takes, and then repeating it. 
Absolutely. You mentioned goals a little while ago, and we talk about the importance of goal setting, and you've heard you know, motivational speakers forever talking about how important it is to, uh, to set goals and, and then try to achieve them in ways to do it. Uh, but what, what are some things that we've learned through neuroscience about goals and, and, and motivation to, to accomplish those goals that, that we should be aware of, things that we're learning now that can maybe help us in, in our pursuit? Well, goals are complicated. I mean, that's something we always knew. Mm-hmm. But it, they certainly, um, they're tricky because they involve the coordination of so many different brain processes and mental processes. Um, in terms of well-being, I mean, I think one of the interesting things is that accomplishing goals isn't all that satisfying. It's certainly not as, it, it doesn't feel as good as we anticipate it will. Um, mm. And in fact, sometimes accomplishing goals can actually be a letdown. Maybe some of your listeners have experienced this, where you achieve yeah. some thing you've been striving for, and they're like, wait a second. It's like, it's sort of deflating in a way, because it's like, well, I've got it, but now what? You know? Right. Um, and you need the next thing. But th- that's certainly something that happens within psychology quite often, this kind of idea of hedonic adaptation, which basically just means you know, there's no one thing that's just going to make us feel kind of continually feel good. Once you get something that you like that feels good, it's kind of temporary. And then at some point you go back to your kind of baseline of however you were feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly that contributes to this idea that goals are, you know, there's, there's no sort of riding off into the sunset and being happy forever. But having a goal and pursuing it can be quite satisfying, especially if we feel like we're making adequate progress. Right. And so I think the, the kind of cutting edge now in psychology is to think about goals as uh, it's kind of absurd. people people talk about it as a goal hierarchy. It just means that any one goal is really embedded in this kind of system where it 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 promotes some higher order or higher level, something higher up in the hierarchy. Um, so right. okay. let's take a concrete example. So let's say the goal is to exercise more. Right? And I can even be more specific and say, okay, my goal is to exercise four times a week for 30 minutes a day. So that's a good, you know, experts on goal setting will say that's a good goal because it's specific and it's measurable and it's actionable and those kinds of things. And that's great, but what happens when you get there? Well, for, in order to prevent that kind of letdown, the idea is to think about, well, what is that goal of exercising more doing for me kind of in that goal hierarchy? And the key question to ask to answer that is, is why? Right. And so the mm. question why helps you move up in the hierarchy. They'd say, okay, well, I wanted to exercise more. Um, that was a goal I had. Why? Why did I want that? And that answer can be revealing. For many different people, it might be different things. For some people, it might be, well, I want to be healthier. For other people, it's, well, maybe I want to look better. For a third person, maybe it's, well, I want to do it because of social pressure. And you can kind mm. of continually ask that question why to move up in the hierarchy and to not only get a better understanding what your next goal should be, but also a better understanding of who kind of who you are and what motivates you. If the answer is I wanted to exercise to be healthy, you could ask yourself, well, why do I want to be healthy? Right. Yeah. That's, that's not a crazy question. I mean, not everybody has that goal. Um, and maybe you don't even have it that strongly, but it's a question of, you know, well, okay, why do I want to be healthy? Well, maybe I want to live a really long time. And again, mm. you can kind of push it. Say, well, why do I want to live a really long time? Right? Why does that? Yeah. I mean, not everybody does that either. Right? And so what's really important to me? Um, and, and eventually you'll get to something, 
you know, really abstract. Usually you end up at the answer being some kind of person you want to be, right? Or some kind of overall sort of image of your life that you want to maintain. But thinking about that is, can be helpful in organizing and setting goals and thinking about, well, you know, what should I be prioritizing right now? Okay, now that I've exercised more, what's, what should my next goal be? And those, those higher level goals are really uh, kind of nice. They're functional for well-being because they're the kinds of things that you can, you can kind of realistically strive toward them your whole life without ever really getting to that point of feeling like you've had the letdown, right? If your big, yeah. big level goal is, you know, to be healthy and to live a long time, well, you know, that's something that you never actually achieve. <laughs> it's something yeah. you can make progress towards, but it's not like, okay, now I'm healthy and I'm done. Right. Yeah. You did because it, it, it's not just a, a, con, a constant thing. It can go up and down all the time. And I really like the idea right. of, of it being in sort of a hierarchy so that you can continue moving on. And I guess I equate way too many things to sports, but this is what I equate it to. Um, people who have worked their whole lives and let's just say they're a, they're a football player. Um, and they end up, you know, well, my goal is to make the varsity squad in high school. Then they make it. Okay, well, then now my goal is because I wanted to win the state championship, so they win the state championship. Well, why? So I could get noticed, so I can go to college, and on and on and on until they win the Super Bowl, and then they're 35, and they've got 40 more years to live. Uh, you've got to keep striving for the next thing if you want that to be a valuable part of your life. Is is that sort of what you're saying as well? Yeah. Yep, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, and it's a good question of, like, what happens when you win the Super Bowl, if that's been your goal. And I would be curious, it would be a fun study to do, really, is to ask ask athletes who've just reached the pinnacle of achievement in whatever their sport is to say, you know, not, not ask the question of now what, because we all know they're going to Disneyland. Right. <laughs> but the, the question of like, why, right? Why did you want to win the Super Bowl? Uh, there's a lot of different goals you can set. Why did you want that? Right. And right. it might be interesting. Maybe it's, you know, parental pressure. Maybe it's, I wanted to be the best at something. Right. Yeah. And, and, and the different answers will might suggest different goals, different next steps. Yeah, I, that's that was going to be my next question because you could find out from, uh, say this this guy who won the Super Bowl. Well, I did it because uh, my dad played and I wanted to impress him. Okay, well, is that what motivates him all the time? Can he is should he try to look for other goals that will impress his family members or or like do you want to follow goals that kind of lead you on the same path? Your eventual why answer, I guess. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and if the answer is, I, you know, I, I played football to impress my dad, the next question I would ask is, why did why was impressing your dad so important? Why yeah. is that a thing that you care about? Yeah, it, it can it can go on and on, and I guess I just picture the little kid. Uh, I guess I was this little kid at one point, just constantly asking, why. Well, because that's the way it is. That's how it is, and eventually, <laughs> yeah. It, no, eventually and that's, but but as a little kid, you know, as an adult, just as as a little kid, that answer is unsatisfying. And and some of that hard work, I think, in goals and motivation. Now, uh, the topic at hand is to answer those questions for yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. At some point, it does lead to insight. If you get to a point where you really can't articulate what why it is that you are motivated to do what you're doing, well then I'd, I'd say that suggests you need to do some work and figure this out, right? I mean, there's mm -hmm. people that are compulsive workers. Um, that's not, you know, I'll say that in academia, in my industry, it happens quite often. Yeah. And I think for a lot of people, it's like they're so caught in that kind of rat race, it hardly ever occurs to them to pause and think, well, why am I working so hard? I mean, for some people there is, right? There's a really well-articulated answer. You know, maybe it's, I want to achieve this thing. I want to impress my father. I want to you know, make a lot of money, whatever it is. But for some people, it's just 
you know, this is the thing that I've done. This is the lever that I keep pressing. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that, that can be okay, but I think in, eventually that's going to be unsatisfying because they'll reach some level of achievement um, and just keep going even without a lot of awareness of, of what it is they're really trying to achieve. Would you say the biggest benefit uh, to goal setting and making that a practice is the introspection that it can lead to? Yeah, I think that's one definite benefit. I mean, of course, there's there's a lot. I think introspection yeah. is great. Um, I mean, I think, you know, the way our society is structured, it's uh, a really kind of core life skill <laughs> to be able to set goals and to achieve them. I mean, that's, yeah. that's sort of one of the big things that we do in the West. Um, it leads to all kinds of you know, financial and personal security. But I think getting to that kind of insight is also really valuable. Absolutely. Well, there is so much more that we could talk about. I feel like we've just barely scratched the surface, but we are out of time uh, for this podcast. Uh, you also help folks. You're not just here to talk to us for uh, 20 minutes and then go back to studying. You've got a consulting website. Folks can uh, learn more. Uh, what website is that if folks want to uh, uh, figure out uh, how to go forward? The website is berkmanconsultants.com. My last okay. name is B-E-R-K-M-A-N, consultants.com. And what we do is we help companies with a lot of these kinds of questions. Uh, often companies want to know what, what is it that motivates our consumers? What is it that motivates our employees? How do we get them to change? How do we help them change their habits? Things like that. Um, and so we do this kind of work in terms of expert consulting and then also original research. Excellent. Well, I'm sure there are many, many ways that you can help uh, businesses or anybody that might be tuning in uh, with that. We found that uh, in our in, in our sphere anyway, uh, that those type of practices have affected our bottom line positively. So we encourage folks to to check out your uh, to check out your website. Dr. Berkman, thank you so much for joining us. And we'll look forward to uh, to talking to you again sometime down the road. Great. Thanks so much for having me. If you would like to know more about Elliot's research or for more information on how your brain impacts your happiness, you can go to livehappynow.com. And while you're there, make sure to swing over by Twitter. You can find us there at livehappy or on facebook.com slash livehappy. Let us know what you think of the program. You can even send us an email podcast at livehappy.com is the proper place to do that. We have got so many more podcasts that we have got to get to. So we're going to let you go for today. But we want to thank you for helping us to live happy.